Amen. He is worthy. Well, today we're continuing in Acts, Acts chapter 8. If you have your Bible with you, you'll want to follow along. And, and in Acts chapter 8, the church is just starting to expand beyond Jerusalem. So the, the, everything up until now has been happening mostly in Jerusalem, and all the believers and the, the apostles are gathered there. And then there's some persecution that starts to come against the church. And because of that, the believers there, they're scattered uh, out to Judea and Samaria. And the Bible says that, um, that the apostles remain in, remained in, in uh, Jerusalem, but the rest of the, the believers were scattered out to um, Judea and, and Samaria. Judea is kind of the land, the, the province, if you will, around Jerusalem. So some of them went out to the towns and villages there. And then Samaria, it's, a, it's, it's interesting. It's a little bit more, uh, it's kind of the next province over. And Samaria is, is where, well, where the Samaritans lived. And, and even though during Jesus' earthly ministry, even though he made it clear that, yeah, you know what, this isn't just for the Jews. I came first to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, also known as the, the non-Jews, people that aren't Jewish. Uh, but even though that, even though Jesus made that clear, still there were some questions, right? Is this, is this new faith? Is this just for the Jews, or is it for other people as well? And so here we see that, yeah, the, the believers are, are spreading out, and, and they've gone to Samaria. And Samaria is where the Samaritans are, are half Jewish, half non-Jewish. And so this is like the, the, the church hasn't expanded fully out into the Gentiles, people that aren't Jewish, but here's a significant step in that, yeah, now we've got it going out to the Samaritans. And so so the other people in the church are watching, is, is the Holy Spirit going to work here? What's going what's to happen? And so one of the, during, well, as that scattering happens, one of the, one of the believers, one of the Christians that heads down to um, Samaria, they, they always say down when you're leaving Jerusalem, but it's actually, we would say up because it's further north. And if, you, if you're familiar with Israel, then it's kind of central, modern-day Israel is where Samaria is. There's also a town in there called Samaria. And so Philip was one of the believers that went up to Samaria. And Philip, now there's the Apostle Philip, um, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but there's also Philip that's one of the seven. You remember the, the, um, there was the, when they were having trouble distributing the food for the uh, Hebrew widows, and, and the apostles are like, hey, we're going we're gonna to appoint some men to help take care of this, seven men. And so Stephen was one of them. Remember earlier in Acts he was martyred. And Philip was another one of those. So this Philip that, that we see about here in Acts chapter 8, this is Philip that was one of the seven. And so he goes up to Samaria, and he starts proclaiming Jesus. And people hear this, and it says that people believe, and people are baptized. And it's pretty exciting, pretty awesome. And one of, those, one of the people that's, that believes and is baptized is Simon. And Simon was a sorcerer, a magician, and, and whether he truly had some kind of dark arts, spiritual power, or whether it was just trickery. Either way, he was kind of a big deal in the area. And so he also, it says in, in our text today, it says in chapter 8, it says that this Simon, he believed and he was baptized. So anyway, all this, uh, all, all this stuff that's going on in Samaria, the apostles in Jerusalem, they hear about this, they're like, we've got to go check out what's going on in Samaria because this is kind of a big deal. And so they head to Samaria, uh, Peter and John head to Samaria, and when they get there, they find out that, oh, you know what, there's these new believers that, have, that believe and, and have been baptized, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. 
And so they lay hands on some people, and when they lay hands on them, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's awesome. The church is super excited. Um, Simon, though, this uh, sorcerer, magician guy that's uh, a new believer, he's like, he sees this, and he's like, well, I want some, I want in on that. And, and in fact, I'm even willing to pay for that. And so he says to uh, Peter, or Peter and John, he says, hey, I, I saw how when you guys laid hands on, on these people, that they received the Holy Spirit. And I want that power. And, and here's some silver, if, uh, if maybe you can give me that power. And then that gets us to uh, verse, uh, verse 20, where we see Peter's response, which is, <laughs> no. But um, let's read that. So Acts chapter 8, verse 20. Let me flip open there. Here we are. Okay, so Simon says, uh, in verse 19, Simon says, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter says to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. <clears throat> we might, uh, when we read this, we might read it as, May your silver perish with you. But it wasn't. A more literal way of reading this would be, Simon, you and your money can go to hell, right? And it's like, this was harsh, right? And I, I, read, that, I read that in a, one of the commentaries. He's like, this would be a better way to say it. May you and your money go to hell. Like Peter, we saw earlier that Peter had, uh, Peter had been, um, when Ananias and Sapphira had come to him, right? And, and he had spoken, he'd, he'd rebuked them so harshly that they ended up dying. And here we see that similar, just straight out, no, Simon, this is not, this is not okay. <clears throat> he says, everything you have here, your money, your prestige, that won't last, and you're headed in the same direction. And here's something, Simon's steam power, or Simon's prestige, it does have steam power, right? I mean, we know, we, we read about Simon's prestige in the, in the Bible today. Like, it was, it was significant. And we also know from, there's, there's some sources outside the Bible, historical records that, that talk about the Simon guy. And so... It was a big deal, and he does have some of his prestige has remained even today. But even, even that, yeah, Simon, you're, you're, that prestige is not going to last, and you're going to perish too if you, if you keep down this, this path. If this is all you have, your prestige and the silver, then that's all meaningless. Verse 21, Peter continues. <clears throat> His rebuke to uh, Simon. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. All these awesome things that are happening, you don't have a part in this, Simon. And, and this, this demonstrates an interesting truth, friends, that, that God's will will be done. <clears throat> There's no avoiding it. And, and you will be a tool in making it happen, right? whether you like it or not. And so you can, you can pair this his comment here about Simon not being a part of, of the work that's happening here, you compare that with uh, Peter made a similar comment, or actually the opposite comment in Acts chapter 1, verse 17. Um, in that place, the apostles are choosing someone to replace Judas, right? You remember Judas was the disciple that had betrayed Jesus. And, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 17, Peter says of Judas, for he was numbered amongst us and allotted his share of the ministry. Right? And so you compare these two. Here's, here's Judas who yeah, betrayed Jesus. And, and yet he had a, a part in the ministry. There was, a, there was a period of time where he was one of Jesus' disciples. Um, Simon, 
It's like he's this new believer. Is he going to have a part in the ministry? What does that, what does that look like? How, how, is it, how, do you, how do we wrestle with that being saved versus being a disciple and how that all works together? Is you, you look at these two people at Simon and, and Judas, and, and we have to wrestle with what it means to be saved, what it means to be a disciple, and, and what it means to, to have a part of, of Jesus' ministry. And we can't know exactly what's going on in either of these guys' hearts, in, in Simon's heart or in Judas' heart. But, but we can see here that even though Judas does eventually betray Jesus, that Judas did take part in Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus gave him work to do, um, assignments to do, and, and Judas, he took part in choosing how he would follow Jesus. And so for each of us, the, the question isn't whether God's will will be done, right? God's going to, he's going to win in the end. So it's not a question of how his will is going to be done through us. The question is whether we get to play a, a conscious, a, a deliberate part in that. <clears throat> will we be used against our will, or will we be used, will we, will we humbly submit and humbly submit to God and, and exercise our free will in choosing how we're going to obey him? And friends, of course, this is, this is practical. If you're living in some kind of sin, right, just like Simon, here he is, he's trying to, he's, his, his, we see later that his heart is not going a good way. Um, and, and if we're living in some kind of sin, then we don't get the joy of taking part in the work that, that Jesus has for us. We're missing out, right? We want to we repent. This is one reason that we want to repent of, of the wrong way that we might be going, turn from that so that, so that we can take part in, in the ministry that God wants to do through us and the things that he wants to do in our lives. So back to Acts chapter 8, verse 22. Peter tells Simon, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. If possible, right? It says in there, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. This, this impossible condition that, um, that Peter puts in there, it reminds us, in part it reminds us that forgiveness is a gift, right? This, this forgiveness that he's talking about. Um, in Romans chapter 4, verse 4, Paul gives the example of a, of a guy working and, and getting paid for it, right? If you go to work and you've got an arrangement with your employer and it's like, hey, if you come to work every day, then I'm going to pay you this amount of money and you've made an arrangement, right? And so the guy going to work, hey, he's owed that money. And Paul reminds us that your salvation, it's not something you earned. It's not something that you, just because you said the right words or said the right prayer or, or repented, that doesn't mean that, that your salvation is owed to you. It's, it's still a gift. And certainly we repent and that's, that's how we receive this gift, but that's not, that's not something that's, that's owed to us. That's, that's a gift from, um, from God. And so this, if possible, reminds us not to think of, of forgiveness as something to which we're entitled. But, but the if possible, here in Acts chapter 8, verse 22, it also reminds us that this is a choice for us. If possible, right? If your heart isn't hardened, if you choose to repent of this and turn back to Jesus, if possible. Do we need to switch over to this, Mike? Josh, am I cutting out again, or is it okay? Oh, am I on this one now? All right, I'll stay close. <laughs> um, if, uh, right, so, so he says, if possible, and part of what, what it seems that Peter is saying here 
Listen, if, you're, if it's possible, if your heart hasn't been hardened, if you choose to repent of this and turn back to Jesus, if possible. And, and, and we also see that part of it in how Peter structured this sentence. Note that forgiven here, it's in the passive voice, right? If you have a, a different English translation, it might not catch this. But in the ESV, which I'm reading from today, rather than saying that God may forgive you, right, which would, which would be the active voice, that God is doing something, it's in the passive voice, that you may be forgiven, right? And, and even though God is the one that forgives, that you may be forgiven reminds, or reminds Simon that, hey, he's the subject of this sentence. It's, it's up to him to be forgiven. Certainly God chooses who he forgives, but within that mysterious, um, within the mystery of salvation, there's a choice that, that Simon also has to make. And so he's the subject, that you may be forgiven. But then, but then you look a little bit closer at that, at how that uh, verse is written out. And it's not that you may be forgiven, but that the intent of your heart may be forgiven. That the intent of your heart may be forgiven. This is what Peter is telling Simon. Listen, if possible, that the intent of your heart may be forgiven. And all this to say that, that Simon's heart, this, this is where it was all going down. Right? And the same is true for each of us. It's our heart that's, that's the battleground. Try this maybe to, to get a better understanding of the heart battle. Um, consider two people that are sinning. And if you could examine their hearts, you'd see in the first heart that, that maybe the guy is justifying his behavior, right? He's like, well, it's okay for me to sin this time because whatever lousy excuse he has. And anyways, God's going to forgive me. Or, or maybe he's minimizing his sin. It's not a big deal. This, doesn't, this sin doesn't hurt anybody. It's not, there's nobody that's affected by this. Maybe he's just silencing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's saying, hey, don't go there. You need to talk to that person. Turn the other way. And, and if his response is to ignore the Holy Spirit, maybe he's like, what? I didn't even, was that, was that really the Holy Spirit? I didn't even, I didn't even hear that. <clears throat> Let's not pretend that he's doing something that he's not, right? If he's pretending that he can't hear the Holy Spirit, he's effectively telling the Holy Spirit to shut up. And, and that's harsh, but that's what we're doing. Every time the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, you don't want to go down that path. You don't want to go that way. I'm calling you a different way. And we might say, well, you're going to have to speak a little bit louder if you want me to hear. It's like, we're silencing the Holy Spirit, and, and we don't want to do that. Now, if you examine the second heart, remember that both of these, both of these people are, are sinning, getting into some kind of mess that they shouldn't be getting into. And, and in the second heart, you can see that this person is in a battle. Oh, Lord, I don't want to do this. Why, why did I do this again, right? There's a... Uh, a repentance, a continuous turning from whatever that, from that sin is. Release me from this sinful habit. Please, God, I'm sorry. And, and the intent of his heart is to flee from this sin. But it's hard. Right? And so, so even though both of these individuals are sinning, and even though sin is not okay, right? It's not that we're saying, hey, it's okay for both of these guys to sin. It's not. But we can see that in one, his heart's like, not a big deal. The other one's like, there's a battle going on here, and he's entered into that battle, and he's trusting on the Lord to help him with that, that battle. The intent of their hearts is different. And, and God has an ability, more of an ability, to work in the second guy's life. If the first guy continues to give ground to Satan, the battle's going to be lost. And so which guy are you? 
right? This is what we need to ask. When you've been wrestling with sin, might you say, well, I don't wrestle with sin. Really, is that, is that because you've already succumbed to evil? You've seeded defeat? You've tapped out to Satan? Or is this a real struggle and you're begging Jesus to bring victory to this battle? In the, in the words of a popular modern-day philosopher, check your heart, right? Because that's where, that's where the battleground is. That's where, that's where it's going down. <clears throat> in Simon's case, Peter was able to zoom right into his heart and see that bitterness had taken hold, right? And maybe that was just, just by the intuition that, that God had given him, or maybe by the Holy Spirit, he could see what was happening in Simon's heart. In Acts chapter 8, verse 23, carrying on then, um, Peter says to Simon, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. <clears throat> gall. We use the same word in English to represent bitterness, the bile of of the gallbladder. And in the Old Testament, it's a, a metaphor for the bitterness of life, especially a life devoid of God's blessing. In Acts 8.23 here, gall is used to describe this bondage which keeps Simon from discerning the grace of God. And then the gall of bitterness. And bitterness, this same word, it's used several places in the Old and the New Testament. One place is Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is teaching us that, hey, we're new creations. We no longer act like we once did. And he instructs us then in verse 31, um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Right? As new creations... Bitterness has no place in our, in our hearts. So back in Acts here, when Peter puts gall and bitterness together, he's, he's pulling from some Old Testament images. Um, Deuteronomy 29.18 is, is one of several. It's a warning to Israel. Uh, be wary of worshipping foreign gods. And it uses the same words. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God. And you see how, I'll get to the place where, where he talks about um, gall and bitterness, but you see how even in, even in the Old Testament, it's about the heart, right? Your hearts are turning away, and, and they're turning away because this, this gall of bitterness is starting to get hold. Um, so beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. And, and here in the ESV, they've translated a root-bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, but that's the same language that we see in, in Acts. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 32 is another example. There, Israel's enemy is, is portrayed as producing this deep-rooted evil, and it's compared with Sodom and Gomorrah. And the products are they're venomous and they're poisonous. And so, so all this to say, all these examples to say that this, this, this root of bitterness, this gall of bitterness, like it's, it's not a... It's, it's not a little thing. It takes a hold, right? And, and if you've ever been sucked into bitterness, then you know that, that that's true. It's sneaky. It's, it's one of Satan's favorite tools, just to, just to kind of get that root kind of stuck into our heart. And, and it starts to affect all of our interactions. This is the stuff that we need to be aggressive about, to not let it take root. It's poison. And, of course, it's plain, like I said earlier, on something that would taste super bitter, it's a picture of animosity, of, of anger, of harshness. It's the kind of action that, that does get stuff done, 
right? Like Simon, he was this, he was a big shot in the area. And probably a big reason for that was because he was able to be this, this harsh, get her done kind of guy. And this was, um, this, 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 we see here that, that it's poison, right? You, we don't want it to let hold. Um, sometimes this bitterness will take, take a hold from, from hurt. The stereotype, for example, would be um, someone that's been hurt by, by a man, and so therefore she's angry at all men, or, or the person that's in an unhealthy marriage and becomes bitter towards his or her spouse. And soon that bitterness starts to overflow into the rest of, of his or her life and, and everybody's seen through critical eyes. And friends, we can, this sneaks up on us, right? You, get, you, you start feeling bitterness towards somebody and, and, and deal with it right away. Like, don't let that take hold because it's not good. And so if you find that you're always critical or always harsh, maybe you usually see people as, as inadequate, all of your interactions point out flaws, then a bitter root might be taking a hold in your life. And this, it's not just a little thing. This type of sin runs deep and it holds tight. And, and this, is, this is convicting, right? We, we want to be a part of Jesus' ministry. And so if there's something... If there's, some, if there's some sin in your life, and, and as always, I'm preaching to me too, if there's some sin in your life that's, that's preventing that, deal with it, right? Preach back to, turn back to, to Jesus. <clears throat> and then Peter describes Simon as being in the, the bond of iniquity or captive to sin. Right? Sin, it's got a hold of Simon, and, and it doesn't want to let go. And then verse 24. We see Simon... We see Simon's response, verse 24. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that none of what you have said may come upon me. And this verse here, this is another puzzle, right? Because some would say, hey, good for Simon, right? He's showing a humble heart, and he's willing to ask for help. Um, others would say, oh, this is so sad, right? Simon still doesn't get it. He's asking Peter to save him when the problem is with his own heart. And which of those two is it, right? I, I don't know. The story just ends here. And, and we don't get to see into Simon's heart. We get little glimpses. We get sort of the, some of the consequences of what's going on in Simon's heart, but we don't really get to see right into what's happening in Simon's heart. And, and one, of the, one of the strange things about this passage is, is that we, we really don't fully know, well, is, is Simon a Christian? Is he, is he not? Is he with Jesus now? Will he perish like the silver, like his silver has? Which, which brings us to the question, well, how do we, how do we know if, if we're believers, if we're Christians? How do we know if we're Christians? For us and for Simon, here's, here's four steps. <clears throat> and, and we can see these in this, in this passage. So the first is, that I wanted to point out today, is that you have to have heard the good news of Jesus, right? And this is, for us as as Christians, this is important for us to say, yeah, is there a time when I heard the good news? But it's also important for us to remember that, hey, if, some, if, if we're hoping that uh, somebody else becomes a Christian, well, they got to hear about Jesus from somewhere. Maybe that's from us. So first we have to hear the good news of Jesus. He's God who came to earth because he loves us. He died to pay the price for our sins. He rose from the grave conquering death. And so for Simon, did he hear the good news? Yep. Acts chapter 8. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Right, so because of Philip, there was all these believers. 
And then second, you must believe, right? This is, this is some crazy stuff. God coming to earth, died for me, came back to life. Did Simon believe? Yeah, Acts chapter 8, verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, it says. And then third, you must repent, right? Because if we, we elsewhere in the Bible, it says, hey, even the demons believe. So you have to, you have to take some action based on this belief. You must repent. Turn from following your own way and instead follow Jesus. And so if there's not a moment in time, and maybe you don't know exactly when that moment is, but for any of us, if there's not a moment in time when, when you said to Jesus, hey, Lord, I, I turned from my sin and, and turned towards you to save me, then do that now. Like, don't, don't delay any longer. So did Simon repent? Well, it seems that he did. According to Acts chapter 8, 13, um, he was baptized. And baptism, we know, doesn't save. But if it's legit, then it reflects what's happening in our hearts, right? And so in baptism, we're, um, we're, we're lowered into the water, and it's like we're dying to ourselves. And then we come out of the water, and we're raised as a new creation. And so if, if Simon's baptism was truly reflective of his heart, then, then he had repented. And then fourth, if we're Christians, we're going to see change in our lives, right? When we become Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit is living in you, then he's not going to leave you the same. You'll be changing, becoming more and more the person that God created you to be. And you say, well, these four sound like I have to earn my salvation. I know, of course, it's, it's a gift, right? These four aren't the recipe to become a Christian. These, these four, this is the, the test to discernment. To, this is the test to determine if you are a Christian. And so for Simon, well, we don't know. We're not sure right we don't we don't see that change and, and and maybe part of this plays out in the question of whether simon was a a disciple of jesus versus whether he was actually saved right most of the time these two things go together and they should go together they're not supposed to be separated right if you're a disciple of jesus then you're also saved but sometimes we follow jesus but we're not actually saved sometimes we're saved but we don't actually follow jesus and so so the question, right, is are, are you a disciple of Jesus, right? Are you working? Are you, are, you, are you following the path that he has for you? And are you saved? Have you trusted Jesus to redeem you from sin? And this would be the, the questions for, for Simon as well. Um, this story, though, in, in Acts here, does take place in a unique time regarding the Holy Spirit, right? We saw that, that uh, unlike for us, where as soon as, we, as soon as we become Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit. Here, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until the apostles came down and, and laid hands on them. Um, and part of that was, was a confirmation that, hey, these, these Samaritans are, are my people as well. <clears throat> um, Romans 8, chapter, or sorry, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11 is a good one that just reminds us that, hey, we have the Holy Spirit if we're, if we're believers. Uh, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who has raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal, body, to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And so outside of the Bible, we've, there's, there's a number of historical sources that talk about Simon, that mention Simon. And, and if these sources are to be believed, then um, as Simon does reappear time and again 
He's, he's, he's unchanged, he's unreformed, he's unrepentant, and he becomes even more and more crooked and more and more evil, and he's constantly returning to evil. And so, if the historical sources are to be believed, <clears throat> and if, if his behavior is an accurate reflection of, of his heart, then it seems that Simon was not a Christian. But if Simon's baptism reflected the transformation that happened in his heart, then it seems that, that Simon is a Christian. God knows. Simon knows. We don't. But, but the record of Simon's life, it is a cautionary tale, right? And it forces us to wrestle with this stuff about, about our salvation, about, about doing the work that, that God has for us, about separating that work that God has for us from our salvation and recognizing that these are two separate things. <clears throat> and we can see here, it's like a case study, right? Here's, here's Simon who, man, we, it's, it's, it, it's one that, that can break your heart. So let's, let's finish up. Um, check your heart, right? It's become a bit of a joke in recent times, but, but it, is, it is good advice. And our, our hearts, they really are where the battle is, is waged. And so we want to ask, well, how's that, how's that battle for my heart going? Has, has the gall of bitterness taken hold? Has it taken root? Or, or is the fruit of the Spirit forming in your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, I pray that if there's... I pray that if there's anyone here that, uh, for whom the, the, the gall of bitterness, this bitterness is taking hold, that, that today you would deal with it, Lord, that you would pull out those roots, that, that it wouldn't be just a, a case of, of um, changing the behavior, Lord, but this would be a case of, of pulling out those roots of bitterness and that you would bring freedom and, and healing from that. Uh, Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, Today would be the day that they would, that they would turn towards you. And Lord, I pray that for, for all of us that do know you, all of us that do follow you, that, that the fruit of the Spirit, it would be evident in our, our hearts and it would be evident in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.